the human animal isn't doing well in the modern world. We have become domesticated and have lost our wildness. Rates of unhappiness are skyrocketing. We are anxious, fragmented, and drowning in an overwhelming sense of meaninglessness. It should be clear to all of us that for all the promises of modernity, we don't seem to be better off when it comes to our overall health. The Human Animal Show explores a return to a state of wild health, our original, authentic human animal. And now for your hosts, Frank Forensich and Dr. Rodney King. Sorry to to make you wait. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. We we you know we were thinking, oh, okay, because Frank's in on like Washington side, I'm on the Isle of Man, you're in Montreal. So we're like, did we get the times right here? Because we're trying to like <laughs> coordinate everything. So we did. So that's all that that's all that matters. We were right. So that's good. No problem. <laughs> Actually, I'm not in Montreal. I'm on my little Isle of Woman. Of oh my! Of your own. <laughs> Of my own. <laughs> That's good. Hey, what if, you know what? We all have to escape, right? <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys? No, we we good. We good. Leila, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Um, as you know, we just recently interviewed uh, John Zerzan, which was a, a fun interview, and I know you know him. So yeah, I actually uh, you told me, so I checked it out. Very good conversation. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yes, actually, I enjoyed. Uh, all three that you have on the website. Nice. Thank you. Well, you're going to be up there too. So that's great. Thank so you. So are you, are you happy just to jump straight into this? Um, yes, I guess. Well, you know, um, <laughs> well, wanted I mean, to say <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Frank, for, uh, you know, losing your beauty sleep because in Washington <laughs> state, it's like <laughs> 7 a.m. <laughs> So that's, that's... I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm good to go. So okay. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, Leila, yes, yes, my my question for you, my first question. I know it's a huge question, and of course we can unpack it. But I want to hear from you. What do you think is the current problem that we are facing in the modern world? Now I know there's there's tons of problems, but if you had to be succinct. Kind of just give us, you know, like a Cliff Notes version of what you think is the problem. Um, well, it's it's actually um, the most important question framing uh, of the question mm. because that's exactly the problem is that every time there will be a problem and people will focus on that problem. So my work is with what causes all these problems that proliferate. It's always the same problem at the, at the foundation, at the root, but it will always take different um, 
shapes, different accents, um, manifestations, and obviously that's part of the reason why all solutions ultimately fail is because people just jump on that problem and try to fix that problem. In the meantime, it generates more problems because the root cause is only one problem. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. It's the easiest for me to identify and obviously, you know, Occam's razor, you know, the, the simplest solution works. But in this case, it is the most difficult. And that problem is um, um, the predatory paradigm that humans uh, have invented for themselves. Basically, it's our anthropology, like how the human knows the human as a predator is at the root of it all because it, whatever we fix, there will always be groups that will be designated as food for that predator. Mm. And food, I mean, not only like literally, um, but obviously um, in all sorts uh, of ways, exploitation as labor, as, uh, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, uh, pets and humans as um, um, exploited for, for pleasure or health or, you know, now there's like this whole thing of uh, mental wellness, you know, we're going to, you know, go to the a petting cafe or, you know, talk to a psychologist. It, it, you know, the underlying problem is the same, that the solution will always reproduce the problem. This is the problem. Okay, so I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. I'm sure Frank's got something to say about this. So two things pop in my mind just while I still have them before I, you know, I lose track. I guess the first thing that I, something I've noticed and something I've written about myself and have said that doesn't make me very popular. One of the things that I see all the time, because you just mentioned mental, mental health, right? And that is something that is widely reported as a serious problem globally, especially in the modern world. If you look at most models or processes or psychological applications, right, mm -hmm. that are meant to help these particular problems, these mental health problems, if you look closely at them, they are all designed and situated within the problem themselves. And what I mean by that is, Yes, we want you to succeed. Yes, we want you to flourish, but it's within the very problem itself. So it's designed for the problem. So in a way, they become the problem themselves. So you can follow the self-help genre, but you're never, ever going to see any real positive change, at least not lasting. And that's one of the reasons why so many people consume self-help products, consume dozens right it doesn't just stop with the first one because the first one doesn't answer the it doesn't answer it so then you go to the second one and the third one and i think in some way we've probably all done that in our past especially when i was younger and i was looking for answers you know you go look at what other people are saying but it only it took a long time for me to realize that actually hold on a second yes they're saying do this but that's doing the thing within the machine so to speak so then at the end of the day it's never going to work so that's my first observation i guess my second observation is were we always like this? Were we always predators? Or was there a time that we could say that that wasn't the case? Because I think that's a good thing to, to know, 
if that's I know it's hard to tell sometimes because how far back can you genuinely go and know but if that is the case then there's hope right again I knew it was going to be an interesting conversation for us perhaps because uh, uh, well maybe we'll disagree with Frank and it will get interesting but you know so far it's uh, um, might not be interesting for the public because you know they they like um, like in French they say la chicane like okay no I totally agree um, and I totally agree also with the framing um, which is uh, precisely part of uh, also how um, how I identify um, the problem because when I was doing my research um, so you know my research is in both anthropology well I started off with actually medical anthropology. Uh, my, my first job was uh, in medical anthropology intersections with law and what is normal, what is health, what is illness, what is criminal, um, how those intersect. And, and then going on, I always was interested in the narratives. And so precisely um, the narratives um, uh, stem from a certain, um, again, uh, underlying premise. And if the underlying premise is to save the system, this paradigm, the, the predator system, um, no matter how you spin it, if, if that remains the same, it might look like, you know, it's offering something new. Oh, you know, let's start uh, looking like, okay, you know, Russian revolution failed, blah, 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 because, you know, humans are not equal. So everyone focuses and jumps on that narrative and um, somebody else comes and, oh, no, it's the French Revolution. Like, let's go back. Oh, no, it's, uh, um, it's the agricultural revolution. Let's go back. And it's like, at, at what point um, do we stop, like, stop re uh, reproducing that narrative of ourselves but but not only narratives because people think oh it's just a matter of narrative I tell a different story that I make up then voila that's like that's the solution no the narratives um, are linked to the choices we make to the actions to to where we um, how we give back to the world what we take from the world to each other as humans who do we consider each other who, who do we consider in our, uh, community of consideration and care and um, in that respect then okay yeah what's the starting point um, well of course the starting point could be like you know life itself and that's what in my uh, in my work I, I actually my dissertation I started with, like you know uh, how do we understand what life is how, and what are the stories fictional and scientific um, that give us an idea and how we identify with that idea also. It's what our, our interests are. And so um, the story of life itself, and then at a certain point, obviously, um, there came the primates. And so for me, uh, perhaps uh, for the current civilizational problems, I would start with... Um, um, with the primates and not differentiating at what, like, so, okay, uh, it's interesting to see at what point did Homo sapiens go its separate way, but obviously it's, um, it's very convoluted 
because uh, Homo sapiens came, you know, before, before Homo sapiens, there were other Homo branches. And before that, there were, like, at what point did we separate from the primates? Um, and that's important to know because if we look at all the extant or still existing primates today, we see that most of them guard their cultures uh, from becoming predatory or hunting. And I know um, there have been cases of chimps, and even now they see bonobos um, hunting. But again, we also see that all of it is anthropogenic. If you encroach upon their territory, if they have no more food left, they will adapt these strategies, but they always revert. And, you know, when, when the conditions are favorable, they will revert to primary frugivore and gathering and folivore um, diets and with that relationships between each other and the world. And so um, when we look at humans, uh, so my guess, um, what I discuss um, is that um, at a certain point, the human primate did not revert. And maybe that is where we, we should start looking at the problem. It didn't, the human primate did not revert. And so it kind of what precipitated a whole and, you know, and, and we don't know why or how, you know, obviously there were like, you know, glaciations periods and, you know, global warming, you know, changes that perhaps are not perhaps definitely um, are not anthropogenic, but uh, kind of um, unleashing this culture, this primate to become a hunter um, always um, in the search, you know, avaricious, and um, and so this is this is the problem you have today. And so, um, how are you going to have mental health? How are you going to have um, health? How are you going to the the sort of the, you know? For me, it's always interesting how they intersect. You know, the crime. You know, how what we designate as crime is something that our civilization continuously has as the norm. And then the question becomes, um, we try those who are not legally assigned the right to partake in those criminal acts, that the society as a whole uh, does. And, um, well, how can you be mentally healthy and how can your environment be healthy? Hmm. So coming back to your example of the primates as potentially something to look at. So I find that fascinating is that in essence, what you're saying is, is that as for example, if we talk about chimpanzees and, and you're correct, there is, there is information out there to show that chimpanzees can be extremely violent, but we have to look at within the context of what that's ha- where that's happening, right? Is that their environment is being encroached upon. So their ability to, seek out the resources they naturally would has become limit limited. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with this is that 
we talk about them living in the wild, but it's not really the wild. Let's just be honest. It's not the wild, wild, right? It's a curated wild, right? Because just on the periphery are cities and members of the human animal family that hunt them and so forth. So all of these things. And I guess there's a, an indicator there is that even though they don't have the vocabulary that we have where we can create all these you know, narratives and imaginary narratives and so forth, but there's a narrative there in the sense that it's an embodied narrative. And what I mean by that is it shows what happens is when you start taking the wildness away from those primates, what the consequences are. And we can make that ju to juxtapose to human beings, which seems exactly the same thing, right? So mm -hmm. it kind of shows that what happens when you take humans out of their wildness and you put them in this domesticated environment where in essence they look like wild animals in a zoo, right? So suffering from zoocosis, doing all these incredibly harmful things to themselves, and then we don't understand that's what that is, and we want them to be normal. But then again, what is normal? Because the norm, of... yes. <laughs> well, Frank? speaking of which, one of my favorite words recently is the word vigility, and that is simply the ability of uh, an animal or species to move through habitat. And every species has a certain preferred range or vigility. And if you compromise that and reduce it down, you're going to stress the animal and that's going to change their behavior. And that's exactly what's happened to humans where our vigility, well, I don't know the, the numbers, but in a, in a wild setting, in a primal setting, we used to be able to go out and have adventures and explore the world and learn about the world on the ground. And we're no longer able to do that. Of course, we're having these mental health reactions because our vigility is so radically compromised now. And there's, it, it, I suppose there are certain um, programs and methods and procedures and substances you can take that kind of alleviate the symptoms, but we have to move. It, it's really important that people be able to move. Otherwise, we're going to have these severe consequences. Yes, um, um, absolutely. And uh, so um, I 100% agree with that. Uh, so the caveat for me would be um, is that uh, precisely if we uh, identify predation as the problem um, and with it comes uh, anthropocentrism, like everything that comes from there is like um, I as a human have the right to do this and this and that because this is in my interest. My interest and it become the most important thing. And then within this hierarchy of humans, and I know my little place, you know, I serve these people and those people feed me with their services. And so it becomes like, very, you know, it looks kind of complex and convoluted. And this is like, because I'm feeding all those up the hierarchy, then, you know, I have, it, it, I become even more invested. I have the right to do this. I have the right to walk. I have the, uh, to, you know, the right to have good food, you know, um, go out, you know, be happy, be, be healthy, be satisfied. And, um, and then we forget that uh, precisely because uh, the wilderness or, you know, the wilderness as a space and wildness as the relationships within that space um, are based on 
that your your happiness is not and your health uh, is not only about you being able to do healthy things if this the whole space is polluted by you know the garbage we throw out into the world and desertified by our avarice that we all take for ourselves how can we be happy if um, all of wilderness is um, in the same way is stressed because they cannot move they don't have the the relationships of peace of exploration of wonder and you go into a forest today like that's completely um uh, kind of uh, beautified, you know, it's called landscape, you know, for our um, delectation. It's like, you know, it, again, it becomes a kind of uh, two or three hours a week for those who can afford it. You know, I have a job to keep myself healthy. I'm going to take a walk uh, or a hike um, in the woods. And then we're surprised that still, we are not healthy, still we're entrenched in this, still somehow we reproduce this predatory paradigm. And so basically to go back to the, you know, everything then would come back to the first question because that's the most important question, like what is the problem? And it goes back to that, to change it then, how about addressing the problem of predation and with that anthropocentrism that leads to every single manifestation of our lives yeah so that i mean that's very deep <laughs> so i was just thinking too Leila. i was just thinking you know just in our recent past i mean not not so long ago if we look at aboriginal cultures around the world um if you look very carefully at the way that they looked at the world it's very different to how we look at the world today and in that sense their narrative was that m- the earth was their mother And when they looked at animals, sure, I'm not denying the fact that many of these tribes went out and hunted, but Mm -hmm. they didn't just see the animal as food just to feed them. And that was all about them and, and nothing else. There was a relationship and honor in the sense that the animal was also potentially their ancestors. It was their teacher. It was their guide to show them the best principles on how to live within the environment that they found themselves. And so coming back to what you said, I think the narrative is extremely important here. And I guess the question is, is that how do we then change that narrative? How do we get people to understand as as you defining it as the narrative as predation is that we have become predators. It's so going to be so difficult to get people to change their minds. I'm not sure if you faced the struggle. I have just in a very short time when I've really been talking about this, I see a reluctance, a, a, you know, there's this, a fear really is that people don't want to accept that potentially what they're in right now, this very system is the problem itself. And I guess for them, they have no idea where do we start? Like, what do I do? And maybe the way to go about this, and I might be totally wrong, is that we're each going to have to change the narrative individually for ourselves. And if enough people change the narrative, maybe then there will be enough of a wave of people to start shifting the global narrative. So 
Um, but uh, yes, I, I mean, again, I agree. Um, it's it's very difficult um, because we are all invested in the system. In what in and actually, uh, the more marginalized and the poorer a person is, the more invested and dependent on on charity. Charity is the remains of what you know those who have taken up like you know the best you know give out so you're quiet um you know all the spaces um like you cannot go uh, of wilderness are precisely you know part of civilization and, and some ownership you know if it's uh, a, a game park then it's just for the animals and there's like a little spot and you go again, you know, to enjoy it. Again, it's anthropocentric space. Um, you cannot go and live there as a human, you know, then it's, you know, all regimented and, and demarcated. Um, so, um, uh, each, and I have, I have, like a little maybe correction um, with the indigenous uh, narrative. So the indigenous people, like there are still um, uncontacted tribes mm. who try to kind of continue, you know, their life, you know, within the Amazon forest on the terms of the Amazon forest. And so um, to to acknowledge that um, this is it, it's unfair what's going on with the indigenous populations all over the place in in Australia in in, in Siberia in, in North America especially um, um, or you know South America as well. Okay, to acknowledge that um, in a way that does not idealize uh, because because again you know there's. Um, there's a narrative of the victimhood, and the victim for a predator um, is is something you still exercise your predatory will upon the victim. Okay, so pity is not going to rewild. That's number one, um, and with that comes also that uh, then those who appropriate that narrative of the victim in order to also build their own social power. And, okay, I'm going to stand on the side of the victim. You know, you become in the it's a predatory position because the power is disbalanced. And the worst thing is that then those people are kept within that narrative in a very fixed role and image. They're a dynamic people and if we and, and and they change and their desires change um, and and they adapt to what's going on in the world and some of them want to go and embrace like embrace uh, civilization, you know, in indigenous populations in Canada, there's a big um, rift be between the camps that you know want to go and embrace the old ways and and those is like no, we want to go to university we want to get and you cannot say no you're indigenous you, you stay on the reservation because you know mm. you know if if i don't stay in whatever reservation i'm supposed to be 
uh, in, then I don't have the right to say that. Um, so that's one aspect of the problem. But with that comes the most important, perhaps, aspect is idealizing that because they're victims, we cannot um, critique their, particip oh, sorry, uh, their participation in the predatory narrative. They're hunters. And if we identify hunting and predation as what has driven us to this current, then we shouldn't um, ac accept them in that rigid depiction of what anthropologists and what, like, you know, the, the text. I mean, there are now contemporary indigenous anthropologists um, who actually very interestingly identify, you know, these, these problems and these in French decalage, you know, like uh, gaps uh, within, you know, the indigenous populations themselves. Um, but then how do we uh, accept everyone on equal terms that if we are all as humanity responsible for what is going on, Obviously, we're not going to put like the the burden of fixing the problem on indigenous people, but invite everyone to participate with equal responsibility. Mm. How are we going to move forward? Because you know those narratives will constantly be reappropriated for the top predator, the apex predator. That's a that's some some salient points there, Leila. I was just thinking as you were saying that it's interesting because, like, from my perspective, I I don't see myself. I see myself as a victim, to be honest. <laughs> I see myself as the victim, um, so much so that I remember. You know, like I tell the story, so I remember this when I was a kid. I, I must have been like oh, I want to say four years old. I was in kindergarten, and what I used to do during the recess time is I I knew that as soon as the bell would go that you had to go back to class, everybody would clear off the playground, the teachers included. Right. So what I would do is I would hide out somewhere around the play, you know, the, the, the like the playground area where they couldn't see me and I'd wait till everybody went. And then I would climb the wall and I would walk the five miles home and knock on the door. And my, my grandmother used to like open the door and like, what are you doing here? And it happened so many times that eventually they, they literally put barbed wire on the top of the wall. Because I kept escaping all the time. So it's like, in a way... One person can change the system. <laughs> <laughs> I changed the system, absolutely. So, so it's, what's, what's, what's interesting about that story is that I was saying this to, to John Zerzan. I was like, you know, I, I feel like I've come to this too late, right? Like I'm trying to catch up. But if I'm really honest with myself, I never felt that I belonged in the system, even at four years old. And as I grew up, and, you know, you get indoctrinated in the system, as you said, right? We all embedded in the system. I started, unfortunately, trying to play by the rules and I met all the criteria, right? I mean, I created a successful business. My kids went to private schools. I had the, the house in the right neighborhood. I had the right car and all that kinds of stuff. But I woke up one morning in an existential crisis and I was like, I am so unhappy. And so it's one of the reasons for this whole kind of impetus of the human animal project that I'm also collabing with, with uh, Frank on and why are we doing this podcast and talking to people like you? Because I think we need to be talking about this. I think we need to get this out and we need to 
change the narrative, even if it's just for some people, but we, we need to help those that want to show up in the world in a different way. We need to give them some courage to do so. Cause I, I really think you need to have, you have to be courageous to do it because it's, yeah. it, it, we're so embedded in it that we're swimming. It's like, you know, does it, does a fish in the ocean know that it's in water? Right. I think that's kind of what's happened to us is that we don't realize that actually this is the this thing is the problem. This machine. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of education and domestication and civilizing effects, one of my favorite guys is named Alfie Kong, and he's written a book called Punished by Rewards. And for me, that is pivotal because what is happening in modern education is that we have been trained not to seek knowledge for its own sake, but to achieve a certain reward. And that has this profoundly domesticated effect on the human animal. And it takes away our freedom. It takes away our vigility. It takes away our sense of adventure. And the the way he puts it is that we are trained now that if you do this, you will get that. And that is how... We teach young children and then the entire curriculum all the way through to your PhD. If you do this, you'll get that. And the whole thing becomes this stimulus response system and that people uh, essentially go unconscious because they're playing the game of getting that reward. And people become kind of locked into that modality. So that's a book that was really influential for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, I know uh, of Alfie Cohen, and um, uh, there was also John Holt, there yes. was Rudolf Steiner, Marie Montessori had actually, um, um, I read uh, her letters uh, back and forth, her correspondence with Leo Tolstoy on education. And um, I mean, there's a there's a lot to say. Um, Fichte, um, John Taylor Gatto, um, all mm-hmm. incredible uh, thinkers uh, with regards to the role of um, um, education in domesticating. Um, and then, so actually, uh, my first book, uh, Wild Children, Domesticated Dreams, Civilization, and the Birth of Education. Um, is a response to, okay, they got all of Ivan Ilyich, the same thing. They all got something, that, they got something important right. Um, and what was missed, and then I was like, okay, so how come um, people who read these books and try different school paradigms, homeschooling, unschooling, you know, all these different um education systems um and then how come we still end up reproducing the same human beings whose choices are always either you get domesticated and then be successful resource in this machine or you rebel against the machine and then the punishment for rebellion just as with you know, I discuss in my book uh, with a horse uh, who you cannot exploit. You know, it's too wild. You put it down, mm-hmm. eat it. 
Okay, so then you don't put people down, although there were programs putting people down, and we do put them down in a way, you know, mm-hmm. with all these wars and prison and driving them to to, to total despair. And medication. Uh, and medication, and exactly. Yeah. So in a way, but it's more subtle, of course, um, because we still have this humanist uh, narrative that you know everything is there for the human being, and and we realize the predatory paradigm has has us like you know all lined up in different boxes. Okay, so how, I come back to that point. Like, so how come? Like, if if they got it so right, and it's precisely what's missing is the underlying premise of any institution and even unschooling is an institution because we exist within civilization we raise children in the civilization and their choices are then determined by what civilization offers carrot and stick and so what's missing is um addressing this underlying um premise Constantly, I go back to that. If we want to have new narratives, they're not going to be new narratives. Feminist narratives, you know, anti-racist narratives. We have movies, we have fiction, we have poetry. All of it, like, you know, very um, pertinent and, uh, you know, moving and, and, and argumentatively, you know, and then, boom, it misses the point. Because in the end it still stands on that premise. It doesn't question the premise <laughs> of predation. And so, um, yeah, we we all go through, um, um, I, you know, we can, my story, for example, with school, I went, you know, to different schools and different continents and part, partly was also homeschooled and even unschooled. Um, um, but then in Sudan, in the Catholic school, um, I didn't run away over the fence, but I just did things the way I did. And I would be punished and sent out of the class, which was the best for time for me because I would play with the monkeys. We still had monkeys. Where the school was uh, part of a convent on the Nile. And I would run on the Nile. There were still crocodiles and uh, there were monkeys. And I would... You know, climb the lianas, check, you know, play with the monkeys, you know, see if the crocodile would jump out. Um, and so, um, but then, yeah, you you still get out. And I didn't finish high school, actually. Um, and still, you know, went to university, did this, did, did, did that. And yeah, I still also struggle with how... Um, how to really impact this world that that is so invested in that underlying premise? You know, the narrative can change, but the premise remains. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Leila. So I, I had this question actually last week. I had a personal conversation with John Zerzan, you know, trying to like pick his brain on some stuff because I have an idea for a book, and I was like, you know, what do you think about these ideas? And my final question for him was this: I said. You know what I'm struggling with? As I'm struggling with the contradiction in myself, like, you know, having to play in the machine, 
because I don't feel there's any other way that I, that I can do it right now. I have to pay the bills, right? Otherwise I'm out on the street and I'm homeless and I've got to look after my kids and all the things I guess everybody in the machine has to do. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that side. And then w- there's all this other side that we've been talking about today. And I was like, how do I, I don't know how to, to marry these two opposing aspects within myself. This is what he said to me. I'd like to get your take on it. I mean, basically he said, you know, it comes up a lot. So I'm reading what he said to me. It comes up a lot. But my main thing about that is just that it's not my choice. I didn't choose this world. <clears throat> you know, so that is true, right? I didn't choose that I, could, that I know of, that I can remember to be here in the first place. But somehow I'm here on this planet. And I didn't choose to be born in this time, but I am. So I guess, what do I do, right? I mean, that's that's kind of like, my final question for you as we come to, to the end here, yeah? otherwise I could just talk to you all day long, but I want to be respectful of your time is like, okay, so what are you doing? Like, how do you deal with the contradiction? Because it is a contradiction. And I think we have to acknowledge that for all of us. Uh, yes. Uh, very good. Um, important, deep point. Um, so, I never thought of it in terms of choice. Um, so I don't, I don't know, like, what, what are the nuances of how John sees, you know, this fact that, you know, he didn't choose this world. Um, for me, maybe um, how I live with it um, and how I still find motivation and joy in spite of everything, although lately <laughs> joy has been kind of also, you know, labor, you know, okay, I'm going to experience joy from noon to, that's why you, know, you have to finish this conversation by noon, I'm going to experience joy <laughs> and go to the woods or something, <laughs> because like, you know, scheduled. Um, but still, um, it's, it's really important uh, because I feel, I never th- thought of it in terms of choice but I am in this world and I love this life and because I love this life so deeply I understand how every creature how every fly wants to live how every fly wants you know to have progeny regardless of whether we have the capacity for the same shape of ideas you know i know that every life strives to live and in life there is love and so for me then um i have to do everything no matter how dark it gets and how desperate it gets um i still love this world outside of civilization. Civilization is a tumor that we have to overcome. And so I'm the maybe this uh, little white cell, and even though we're kind of um, overwhelmed, that, you know, that fights. <laughs> I'm the, you know, part of the immunity system of, of the universe that wants this, this miracle to, to be, to thrive. And being also part of the tumor because you know we we are born here uh we are invested here i understand it and um, and and maybe in 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 whatever way by offering this 
um, um, you know, the, the, the change of the premise. Mm-hmm. The change of the premise is, is my spiel, my sword. Yeah, I love that. Leila, that, that's beautiful. I'm going to hand it over to Frank in a second. Just sure. as you were saying that, just, I don't know, sometimes I don't know if you have this experience, right? You have like thoughts that pop into your mind and you have no idea where it came from and you have this absolute need to write it down. So this has been happening a lot lately, but it speaks to what you said is I wrote this down this week. Don't, I have no idea where it came from. This is what I wrote. A tree exists with one single purpose to flourish. Nice. Over to you, yes. Frank. Over to you. <laughs> well, well, thinking about your dilemma that you spoke with John about and the fact that we are more or less forced to participate in the, in the grinding of the gears of modern civilization, we have to pay bills, we have to use money, we have to follow certain rules and participate. But the way I try and resolve this is through identity. So in other words, I have to do these things, but I'm not going to identify with them. So I'm not going to identify with money or finance or economics or any of that stuff, because I can choose to identify with the living world. I am an animal. That's my identity. And I can choose that. I can own that. And I have to do these other things from time to time. But that's not me. That's something else that I'm required to do. And that, that choice of my identity, that works for me. And I can, I can be that animal and still do some of these other things as long as I don't, that doesn't become me. Mm. And it it kind of works. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Layla, absolutely a pleasure. Love talking to you. Hopefully we can do it again because I think you've got so much more to to give and to add and 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 i definitely would like to talk to you more but i appreciate your time i know frank does too and uh, it was wonderful talking to you wonderful and for your uh viewers if they would like to know more of my work Mm -hmm. uh, so i have a website and i recently started patreon um where i'm revisiting uh, my anthropological work from a personal perspective to kind of um so, you know, for those who want to know more, you know, please, uh, please visit. <laughs> sure. And we'll put all the links in the show notes so they can go and check it out. I had a look at that today, too. So I saw you on Patreon. So great. Oh, wonderful. Yes. And give me the money so I can feel like Frank. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Lena. Have a fantastic day. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Lovely talking to you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. <laughs> Fantastic. That was a really good one, right? I mean, yes, she made yeah. she made some incredibly important points. What do you think, Frank? Oh, that was great. I we could have we could have spoken at length. Um, I had a couple more ideas I wanted to toss in, but we'll get to them at you know at some point. Um, I yeah, just, I think I think the fun part of this would be you know like I know there's those long form conversations that's very popular. Um, you know, people go on for three hours, which is great, but I know people are busy and, you know, they're listening to a million other things. So I kind of want to make it manageable for everybody, keep it within an hour, but that doesn't mean we can't revisit, right? So it would be really cool to revisit, um, you know, Layla, John, 
Janine, yeah. you know, that, you know, all the podcasts yeah. that we have done and, and the future ones. And, and you know, what would be really cool is to get everybody in a room together. Oh boy. Now yeah. you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fantastic. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I just finished this book by Jason Heckel. I, I'm sure you know this guy. Uh, he's an anthropologist, uh, really powerful anti-capitalist voice. Hmm. And, um, What's the book's name? Let everybody uh, know. Less is more. Less, less is, is more. more. So, yeah, so it's all about deep growth, but it's all about the history of, of predatory capitalism and um, contrasting that with Native and Indigenous uh, worldviews. It's really quite good. Fantastic. Well, yeah, let everybody check that out. And then, yeah, till the next one, Frank. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Thursday, 8 p.m. my time, 4 a.m. Yep. your time. 4 a.m. my time. Cool, man. I'll see you then. Hey, Dr. King here. Thank you for joining myself and Frank on an exploration in improving the health of the human animal. To find out more about our work, you can visit Frank at exuberantanimal.com. For coaching with me and to find out more about the Human Animal Project, as well as our retreats, go to humananimal.info. Until the next time, be wild, be free.